Uh, before I give the greeting and the, announcement, and the announcements tonight, you may have noticed that Pastor Peter and Phyllis are missing tonight, Pastor Ed, Brother Eric, Pastor Kylan, and they wanted me to announce that uh, Pastor Kylan is having a surgical procedure tonight, so they wanted to stand there, be there with him during that time. And uh, I want you to join with me. Join with me in prayer tonight. Just believing that all is going to go well. Eternal Fathers, we come in the name that's above every name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you, your name is above every name. Power, healing, deliverance, restoration, miracles, your wonderful name. And I pray that you be with Pastor Kylan, be with the doctors and nurses. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that your word still says, Bless the Lord of my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord of my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, and crowneth with loving kindness and tender mercies. And in that great name, in the name that's above every name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we curse the curse, every sickness, disease, affliction, every attack of the devil from off our brother Kylan, and we loose healing, the healing power of Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd extend the nail-scarred hand of Calvary, bring healing, guide and direct. I thank you for the people that are helping him. I thank you for sending help. And I thank you for your perfect will being done, a complete recovery. As we call it done, we speak it done. We thank you that on the cross, the last three words you said was, it is finished. As we call it done in the name, above every name, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for it. Amen. I'd like to invite those who are visiting with us tonight. Do we have any first-time visitors? Anybody? Yes? Okay. Um, we'd have the ushers to uh, give you one of these books, and uh, if you'd fill it out and afterwards take it to the Welcome Center, and they'll give you uh, a card to go over to uh, get something to eat or drink, uh, whatever you'd like then. And uh, tonight, I want to give the announcements. First of all, I'm going to give the announcements and take up the offering and going to preach. And Nita said, if you're going to lead praise and worship, she said, I'm not coming. So, actually, when uh, I graduated from high school, my mother told me, she said that when I was a junior, our music director called her up and said that he wanted to nominate me for the United States Youth Choir to travel around the United States and around the world during that summer to uh, represent our nation. And my mother said she told him, no, he's not that good. And I said, thank you, mother, you ruined my life. <laughs> I could have been famous, but I was kidding. Anyways, but I want to share with you tonight uh, some of the announcements that they have for me that uh, also, if I haven't already, I want to welcome those who are staying with us and I hope you stay with us for the rest of the service on the live stream. And uh, remind you that uh, Daylight Savings Time begins this Sunday, March 12th. Don't forget to turn your clocks ahead. And uh, there's an Easter reading guide as we approach the Easter season. We want to prepare setting aside a time of reflection on Jesus Christ, his suffering, his sacrifice, his life, death, burial, resurrection. And at the Welcome Center, there's a list of uh, suggested scripture readings for you for this time. On uh, March the 10th 
at uh, 7 o'clock will be movie night. God's Not Dead 2. Popcorn's free. Pop and candy are only 60 cents. Come and join the fun. And here's the commercial for the marriage class, I hope. truly can. God, God never creates anything to fail. Join the marriage class for this teaching on the indestructible marriage at 9 a.m. in the loft on the second Sunday of each month. We'll see you there. Hey out there everybody. Here we are once again to inform everyone out there about the upcoming 13-week session of divorce care classes that'll be starting soon. Divorce care is an open environment where you can feel comfortable being who you are right now. You can laugh, cry, complain, reminisce, vent. It just gets the trash out so you can begin to heal. Yep, and that reminds me of another perk of divorce. It's better than death. Well, unless it's his. Yeah, well, we're still a work in progress. So pick up one of our flyers in the foyer or go to the website obmcc.org. Find us on Facebook at OBM Divorce Care for upcoming dates, times, and locations. Or stop us in the hallways and just ask. We're not so bad once you get to know us. At least not one of us. Faith is a substance. The Bible says that faith is even more real than the things you can see. And you're a strong man, and I'm a strong man, and we're supposed to stand over our family and say, Devil, you're not coming in my house, and you're not going to attack my family. The Word of God is, is, is everlasting. It's forever settled in heaven. We don't let go of that because of circumstances. You're here to get free from that stuff. So you can stand up and bless your house and cover your family and declare the blood of Jesus and the cross of Calvary is between your loved ones and every work of the devil in Jesus' mighty name. But Jesus Christ will always be, always be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Racism's gotta go. It's gotta go. And I don't care who's got it, you gotta get rid of it. But I'm telling you that the devil is always going about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so it's always time for us to stand up and cover our household, cover our kids, cover our family. Don't ever assume that the devil is not looking to eat somebody up. Don't ever assume that he's not going to come after you.
I think the only other announcement was the heart-to-heart meetings. Remind the ladies that on March 17th, featuring Pastor uh, Miriam Phillips, this evening begins at 6 o'clock with light snacks and refreshments, followed by the main event at 7 o'clock. And we want to thank everyone who made a donation towards the door prizes. Your generosity will make this a great evening for the ladies. I want to share from the, uh, as we take up the offering, yesterday I had the opportunity to go to Memorial Hospital and pray for a lady who has, uh, who has gone to our church. She's gone to our church for many years. And, and uh, before I, I prayed the prayer of faith and anointed her with oil, I want to increase her expectancy. And I began to tell her about all the different times that God has healed me and healed many different people. And, uh, and also, uh, oh, if you need an offering envelope, raise your hands. And uh, if you don't have one in your seat. But uh, she began to encourage me too. She began to, began to tell me, even though she'd been sick, all the ways that God has met their needs. She said that uh, she wasn't able to work. She hasn't been able to work for a couple weeks. And she said that one in particular, one time in particular, just recently, she needed to get a prescription refilled. And she said she had no money, no money at all. But she needed those pills. So she said she took the sack that had uh, the prescription information stapled to it, took it to the pharmacy, gave it to them to have it refilled. And she said when they brought out the pills to hand it to her, she said, I'm sorry, but I don't have any money. And they said, why, there was money clipped to the back, to the back of the sack. She said, that can't be. I had it in my kitchen. She said, there wasn't any money. They said, yes, in fact, you gave us too much, and they gave her change. Isn't that some? <laughs> Amen. But as I begin to encourage her, she began to encourage me. In uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, this is right after Noah came out, came out of the ark, and God began to share his covenant with him. And he said, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Everything in this earth operates on the principle of sowing and reaping. Seed time and harvest. In Romans, I've often wondered, I said, as long as we've gone to this church, we've gone here 26 years, and I've heard person after person after person, and I've shared with you the times that God has just, since we've tithed, how God has just met our needs. There's been rough times, but God has always come through. God has always been faithful. David said, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor received begging bread. And I'm sure, knowing the people in here, probably 90% of the people in this church tithe. And I've wondered, why do the others? Why, what about the other 10%? It isn't because they don't have faith, because in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, it says, for I say, through the grace given unto me, that to every man is among you, and that means, uh, well, he went on and said, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God hath dealt to every man, that means mankind, man and woman, boy and girl, the measure of faith. And I know that people have faith, because God said he's dealt to every man, meaning mankind, man and woman, boy and girl, the measure of faith. And people have faith. Farmers have faith. They believe when they sow, they're going to reap. Gamblers have faith. I remember about a year ago, the Super Lotto was up to $900 million in climbing. I think by the time all the tickets were sold, it was up to almost a billion dollars. And uh, sinners were buying tickets. Church people were buying tickets. 
There was no unbelief in the convenience stores and the gas stations. Some people were buying tickets with every dollar they could beg, borrow, or steal. They had faith. And uh, I wondered, I said, why is it that some people don't exercise faith? And then I was reading in Matthew chapter 25, and I saw one person that said, that said why they didn't. Matthew 25, it says, beginning verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling in a far country, who called unto his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Did you notice it was his goods? As one famous radio announcer says, I have talent on loan from God. And that's what we have. It was his goods, and he gave unto the one five talents, the other two to another one, according to every man's several ability, and straightway took his journey. He never gives us more than what we can handle. Sometimes it seems like it, but he never does, according to their several ability. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received the two also gained another two. But he that received the one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. Notice it was his Lord's money that he hid. And after a long time the Lord of the servants cometh and reckoned with him. And so he that had received the five talents came and brought five talents, saying unto him, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside five talents more. And the Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou in the joy of the Lord. He also had received the two talents, came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside these. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou in the joy of the Lord. And then we get to the guy that hid his talent, hid his Lord's money. Then he that had received one talent came and said, I knew thee, thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. He said, I knew that you expected, you were going to expect more from me than what I could deliver. I knew how you are. I knew you're a hard man. And it's interesting because I had a similar situation about 15 years ago. My mother called me up one morning when I was at work, and she said that the evening before, about 6 o'clock, this acquaintance that lived north of Finlay called her up and said, she was at the police station in Finley, and she said, can you have John come and pick me up? And she said what happened was she and her boyfriend, her, her, the guy she was shacking up with, who was a real loser, they were out, got into a big fight. He grabbed her car keys and took off and left her stranded. So some people took her to the police station. And she asked my mother, she said, can you call up John, have him come and get me, take me home. And my mother said she told her, oh, he's too busy. He can't do that. You'll have to call somebody else. Well, I was not happy with my mother, but I thought there was no use getting into it. She was just thinking she was doing what she could to help me. And I wasn't happy about it. But I called that person up, and I said, why didn't you just call me up? And she said, because I know how you are. She said, I know you wouldn't come and get me. She said, that's why I asked your mother if she could get you to come and get me. But you didn't. That's how you are. It just proves it. She said, that's the kind of Christian you are. And hung up. And I thought, how that is so similar to the guy with the, the uh, one talent. And that's what he said. I know you. I knew that you were a hard man. 
where thou hast uh, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where hast not strawed. And I was afraid. That's the second excuse. The first excuse, that was the first one. The second one was, I was afraid and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, thou hast, there it is, that's yours. And if you ever watched cops, how many ever watched cops? There's been times I've watched cops and, and you see almost the same thing when they're chasing the stolen car. They'll have three or four cop cars chasing the stolen car. They'll lay out the stop sticks, it'll crash. The driver jumps out and runs, so they send the dog after him. The dog gets him, so they, they get him and put the cuffs on him, stick him in the back of the police car. And I've seen a couple times the policeman will say, why did you run? He says, I'm afraid. I was afraid. I didn't know who was after me. And the cop said, really? How many of your friends or enemies drive black and white cars with big letters that say police on the side, have a red light and siren on it? And he said, well, I didn't know why you were trying to stop me. And he said, well, if you'd have stopped, we'd have told you. And he said, maybe it has something to do with your driving a stolen car. And the guy says, I don't know how many times I've seen him say it. He said, I didn't know it was stolen. I swear to God. I swear on my mother's grave. I didn't know this was stolen. I've noticed when you put the cuffs on people, they get religion. I thought, I wonder if that'd work in church. But that's what he said. He said, I was afraid. And went and hid the talent in the earth. Here it is that is thine. And I've noticed that fear is just the opposite of faith. The last time I shared about the offering, I talked about the woman who gave the two tithes. Everybody gave out of obedience, but she added something to it. She added faith, and faith is what moves God. All their other money put together didn't impress Jesus. But here was a woman who gave in faith, who gave everything she had, because faith is what moves God. And this guy said, I was afraid. Revelation chapter 21, where it talks about fear... Revelation 21, beginning in verse uh, 7, just verse 7 and 8, and I'm close with that. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God. He shall be my son. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the adulterers, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Did you ever notice who's at the top of the list? Fearful and the unbelieving. Now, I call those the respectable sins. You can be fearful and unbelieving and nobody will know it. You can be a res respectable person. If you were an abominable murderer, whoremonger, sorcerer, idolater, and liar, everybody would know it. But in the church, these are the respectable sins, but they're just as deadly. And there's been times I've had to say, forgive me, Lord, for not trusting you. When I find that I was afraid, I just have to confess it. Forgive me, Lord, the fearful and the unbelieving. And in the medical profession, that's what they call, you know, we have, I call, I call these the respectable sins. In the medical profession, they call those the silent, they're silent killers. You ever hear of the silent killer? High blood pressure, arteries filled with plaque, and you don't know that you have it until the big one hits. The silent killers. So, I just want to encourage you to have faith in God. If you haven't trusted him before, many, many times you've seen people up here testify. And I've often wondered, why don't they, why is it that sometimes people don't tithe? I don't know. I don't know. But I encourage you to do so.
If you haven't trusted in God for your, for your tithes and your offerings and your finances, I just want to encourage you that God is faithful. Try it. I remember years ago, we had a, uh, a pastor. Now, you can't do this anymore because of the IRS regulations. But we had a pastor that said, I want you, if you haven't tithed before, he said, you try it. He said, here's what I'm going to do. He said, for the next six weeks, he said, you put in the tithe. He said, now you mark it down, either if it's cash, put it in an envelope so we have a record of it, or a check. He said, if God hasn't blessed you more at the end of six weeks, he said, I'll have the church treasurer write you out a check and give you back every dime. Isn't that something? And he said some of you went to that same church. And he said in the whole time that he's done that, he said he never had one person came back and said that, that he wasn't blessed beyond what he was before he started tithing. But I just want to encourage you, if you haven't done it before, to trust in God for the finances too. And uh, if you want to bring the buckets up, I want to pray over the, the tithes and offerings and, and uh, ask you to bring it up. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're good all the time. I thank you, Lord, that you said to bring all the tithes into the storehouse to prove you. Hear what saith the Lord, if you not pour out a blessing, if you not ruin enough to receive it, and you would rebuke the devourer for our sakes. And I thank you for doing just that. I thank you for the blessing that the curse is broken, often, even off of our finances, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. about the message tonight. I'm really excited because I only have two verses of scripture. <laughs> this may be the Lutheran version tonight. I was raised Lutheran and the pastor never preached more than 20 minutes. My uh, uncle was on the church board. He was president of the church council one time and he'd sit in the front row and if the pastor went by 20 minutes he'd go like that. But it's exciting. Uh, it's exciting when you just have to let go and let God. I don't know where this is going to go. I can remember uh, here a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to Charles Stanley. And he said that when he came to Atlanta, when he first came to Atlanta, and he was doing his, I don't know what the proper term is, his audition, when he was going to give his practice sermon, he said as he drove to Atlanta, he had nothing. The night before, he prayed all night, nothing. He got to the church that morning, nothing. They're singing the last song, and he's saying, God, you better do something quick. He said he got up there and flipped open his Bible to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not to thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. He said, and from then on, the anointing just came. Thank God for the anointing. 
And he said, and he preached for a half hour. And so, as I was praying, I didn't get this till 2 o'clock this afternoon. I thought, God, you've got to do something. You know, so I want to share with you when I was first saved, the verse of scripture that God gave me. I can remember that uh, I used to come out of church. I was 22 years old, used to come out of church where I was raised. And I used to think, is that all there is? There's something missing in my life. And I had no idea what it was. I said, there's something missing in my life. And so finally, after I had enough beer in me and got a hold of my pastor one night, went down to his house, after I built up my courage, and I said, I need to talk to you. So we took a ride in my car, and I said, Pastor, there's something missing in my life. He said, I don't know what it could be. You've been baptized. You've been confirmed. You take communion. You serve as an usher. You come to church every Sunday. He said, that's all there is. I was respectful, and I thanked him for his time, but I knew there's something missing. I don't know what it is. And sometimes I'd walk through the cemetery, which is at the edge of town, the north edge of town, and as I'd walk through the cemetery in my mind and my imagination, I wished that I could find a porthole down there where I could brush off the dirt, look in there, and see what really lies on the other side. Did you ever wonder that? I was telling a, a, a Lutheran pastor that, and he said, I think everybody wants to know that. What really lies on the other side once we're gone? And uh, sometimes I had, I had, well, I had a friend that was Catholic, and before we could go out on Saturday night, he always had to go to Mass, so I'd go to Mass with him. And I knew the church was always open, so sometimes late at night, I'd go to the Catholic Church. I thought, well, if God's any place, he's in the Catholic Church. And I'd go in and uh, respectfully, where the, the holy water is, go down front and genuflect, and that's acknowledging the presence of God. And I'd go over where the candles were, and that's when they had real candles, now they have electric ones. And I put my money in the box, light a candle. And then I'd look around, make sure I was the only one in the church. And I'd say, God, where are you? I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to touch you. And I thought one night I'd hear the back doors open because they've got these big oak doors, eight-foot-tall oak doors in the Catholic church. And the hinges creak when it opens. And I thought, one night I'm going to pray that. I want to see you, I want to know you, I want to touch you. And I thought one night I'd hear those hinges go, and I'd turn around and see God himself walk in. That's called expectant faith. Because God has given to every man, man and woman, boy and girl, faith. You have faith. And I just didn't know how to get a hold of him. So it was the first Sunday in November, 1969, I was on my way to a National Guard meeting, and I had the radio on, and uh, I was listening to a, Christian program, and a man was giving his testimony. He was going overseas on a ship, couldn't sleep. He got up, and as the sun was coming up, he was looking out over the water, and he heard a voice that said, Charlie, go ask somebody to pray with you. And, and he thought, well, I can't do that. I don't know anybody on this ship. They'll think I'm some kind of religious nut. And he tried to put it off, and that voice said, do it now for tomorrow, maybe too late. I thought, that is wild. I have not known anybody that heard God speak to them unless they were, you know, the elevator didn't go all the way to the top. So I thought that's strange. Well, that night I was sitting at home. I used to watch the Perry Mason black and white reruns that came on from the Fort Wayne station, just religiously, every night at 11 o'clock. That's how I finished the evening. 
sit back and enjoy myself, just opened up a fresh beer, lit up a fresh lucky strike, and as Perry Mason comes on, I heard a voice. It said, John, it's time to make things right. And I thought, oh no, I'm going nuts now too. And I went in the kitchen, dumped the beer out, put the cigarette out, walked around the kitchen, I thought, what am I gonna do? And the voice said, do it now, for tomorrow may be too late. I said, do what? Nobody will tell me. So I went out and picked a friend up. We rode on until 1 o'clock in the morning. So I told her why I really picked her up. And I said, will you pray with me? And she said, no, I think you are a nut. But I know somebody that will. So we ended up at this Baptist preacher's house. His name was Dennis Rockwell. He lived at Neptune. And knocked on his door. 1 o'clock in the morning, he came with his robe and slippers on. He said, what can I do for you? I said, i got to get right with God. I have no idea how to do it. He said, I do. You come in. So he went and got dressed, and he came in, and he just simply opened up the Bible, the book of Romans, chapter 3, where it says, There's none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come, close and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, The wages of sin is death, but the gift is God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then finally he took me to Romans 10, 9 and 10. If thou shalt confess to the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, that's it? That's all? He said, that's it. I said, why didn't somebody tell me about this? He said, you want to do that? I said, absolutely. Got down on my knees and I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me and save me. And the first time in my life, I felt clean on the inside. And that's what changed my life. Thank God. And so I started attending there. Of course, started tithing too. And uh, two weeks after I became a member, they said, John, we want you to teach the high school class. I said, fine, I'd be glad to do that. I thought, this is going to be fun. So I thought, well, I better buy a Bible. I bought a Bible. And I thought, this is going to be something because these kids have been raised on the Bible. I've never read it. I couldn't have told you the first book or the last book. I was raised Lutheran. I mean, there are some Lutherans that read their Bible. I just never did. And so I took my Bible and I laid it down and I looked at it. And I thought, now what? And so I said, God, show me what to do. And so I flipped it open, and the verse of Scripture I came to was the book of James. James, it's a great place to start. If, if you just got saved, I just recommended that to somebody this week. James, a servant of God. Well, and, and then it, and it, I told Mary. Okay, we're starting. James, the servant of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations or trials, oh yes, that's hard to do, isn't it? When you're going through the, the trial to, to, to rejoice. And he goes on, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, which means endurance, and let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, which means complete, wanting nothing. And then it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth liberality to all men, and abraded not, it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything 
of the Lord. I thought, that's it? I said, that's what I need. I need, I need wisdom. I said, if I'd ask wisdom, you'd give it to me, Lord. I said, God, I thank you. I thank you for giving me the wisdom that I need to teach this class. And I call it done in the name of Jesus Christ. He did. And I started teaching this Sunday school class. And of course, the longer I've read it, the more, the more he's uh, revealed to me. And the other verse of scripture I want to share with you is in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 35. It starts actually in 34 about, this is about King Josiah. Josiah was one of the best kings that Israel ever had up until the end. Um, Josiah was eight years old, began to reign. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. So he reigned till he was 39 years old. And Josiah was known for four great things that he did. Number one, he cleansed the nation of the Baal worshippers. He cut down the groves and the high places and he got rid of the Baal worshippers. He uh, gathered the money up to rebuild the temple. While they were rebuilding the temple, they found a book that had a prophecy in it. And the prophecy said that God was very displeased with the people because although they were coming to worship in the temple on the Sabbath, during the week in their homes they were burning incense to false gods. So he got that stopped. And the last thing he did was he kept the Passover and reinstituted the Passover. The great things he did God gave record of for this 31 years. And then we come to chapter 35 and verse 19. And the 18th year of the reign of Josiah was the Passover kept. After this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came to fight against Carchemish by Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. The king of Egypt, let me tell you what's happening here, came against this city of Carchemish, which is a city of the Hittites near the Euphrates River, and Josiah decides to go out and fight against the king of Egypt. Why he did this? I don't know if he was arrogant, if he was bored, or what. But he gathers his army together, and he goes to fight against the king of Egypt. But he, the king of Egypt, sent ambassadors unto Josiah, saying, What do I have to do? Saying, What do I do with thee, thou king of Judah? And they gave him three reasons why you, you need to turn around, back up, and go home. The first reason was, and he said, uh, I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherein I have war. First of all, you don't have a dog in this fight. This has nothing to do with you. Leave. The second thing was, God commanded me to make haste. And the third thing was, forbear thee from meddling with God who is with me, that he destroy thee not. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him and hearken not to the words of Necho from the mouth of God and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot at King Josiah. The king said to his servants, Have me away, for I am sore wounded. His servants therefore took him out of the chariot, put him in the second chariot that he had, brought him to Jerusalem, and he died, was buried in one of the sepulchres of the fathers, and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for him, and Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. All the singing men and the singing women spoke of Josiah in their lamentation this day, and made them an ordinance in Israel, and behold, they are written in the lamentations. Some years ago, I used to fly, and I used to get Flying Magazine. I don't even know if they make it anymore. 
But the one, the one article that sticks out in my mind that I read, and this was years, this is back in the 70s, there was an article in there why good pilots die. And they said the prime reason that, that good pilots die is because they get, they come down with this, they call it a disease called get homeitis. I just want to get home, I just want to get home, I get, want to get home. And when they get that, they would get careless. They would skip the very basics of safe flying. They wouldn't pre-flight the plane, they wouldn't check the weather, they wouldn't file a flight plan, they wouldn't check their weight and balance. You don't want to overload the plane and you don't want to put too much weight in the back because it'll go into flat spin. And uh, one, one of the things also is they wouldn't keep track of their ground speed. Now when you're flying, if you have a small plane that, let's say, will cruise at 100 miles an hour, there's two different speeds you need to keep, tra keep track of. One's your airspeed, how fast you're going through the air. Now, if all things are neutral, if the plane can fly at 100 miles an hour, you're doing 100 miles an hour across the ground. So if you need to get to a destination, it's 100 miles away. If you're doing 100 miles an hour, you get there in an hour. But if you get into a 40 mile an hour headwind, even though you are going through the air at 100 miles an hour, you're only doing 60 across the ground. And it's going to take you 40% longer and 40% more fuel to get there. And many good pilots have died because they didn't keep track of their ground speed. They ran out of fuel when they were just a few miles from the airport. And what they said was, and the bottom line to that story was, never make a life-changing decision when you were either tired or under pressure. And I've remembered that often. I've often thought about that. Never make a life-changing decision when you're either tired or under pressure because you're going to have a tendency to make the wrong decision. You're going to be tired. You're going to say, I, just, I don't care. I just want to get home. I just want to get home. Just leave me alone. And you have a tendency to make the, a, a wrong life-changing decision. And I had to add to that Never make a life-changing decision without prayer and godly counsel. Yeah, you need to take time. You need to step back and take time. Never make a life-changing decision when you're tired or under pressure or without prayer and godly counsel. And I don't know how many times that has helped me so much. I know my dad was always good with money. And I don't know how many times he's, he saved me from making some big mistakes. One time was... A few years ago, a real estate agent came to me and he said, John, he said they're going to reopen the Merceman Furniture Factory in Salina. That used to be a staple in our town. He said, we got some investors, we got some people getting together, and he said, you ought to buy a share. He said, a share is $30,000. And I said, well, I'm going to talk to my dad. So I talked to my dad and I said, Dad, here's the deal. He said, uh, this, is, this would be good for the town, this would be good an investment. What do you think? He said, John, do you have $30,000? I said, no. He said, if you have to borrow money to invest in another man's business, that's not good. If you're going to borrow the money for your own business, that's all right, but don't do it. So I didn't. I said, I'm going to pass on it. They did their best to open up that furniture factory and make it go. It went bankrupt in two years. And the man that said, you ought to do this, he lost his $30,000 as well as a number of other businessmen in town. And... Uh, he, he was always good with the finances. I remember I talked to our pastor. I've counseled with, with uh, our pastor here and another pastor I had before, before I made a life-changing decision. Here a couple years ago, I was thinking of running for mayor. 
And I couldn't make a decision. I could give you scripture verses for it, scripture verses against it. And so I got an appointment with Pastor Dosick. And I said, uh, Pastor, here's what I want to ask you. I said, what do you think of this? I said, uh, at that time, I, I didn't have anybody I thought was going to be, uh, was a candidate for the mayor position that I thought would be a good mayor for a town. And I thought, boy, we need some help. I said, uh, I'm thinking of running for mayor. What do you think? And, I, and before I even got to the scriptures, he said, no. He said, you are not called to do that. That's not your calling. So I didn't do it. A couple days later, I got a knock on the door, and here was a man and his wife. And he said, John, he said, I'm thinking of running for mayor, but somebody said there that you were thinking of it. He said, if you're going to run, he said, I won't. I'll step back. I said, no, you go ahead. He ran. He's our mayor, and he's a good mayor. You see, Clint Eastwood once said, a man's got to know his limitations. And sometimes you don't know. Never make a life-changing decision when you're under pressure, when you're being pushed into it. And I've often thought about that. Years ago, I heard this evangelist that went over to, to uh, Israel, and he was visiting this little village, driving or walking through this little village somewhere in Israel. And a lot of the villages have very narrow streets. And as he was walking down the street, you know, some of them don't even have sidewalks. He hears a noise, and he looks up, and here comes a herd of sheep down the street. And they're taking up the whole street. So as they get near, he steps back into the opening of this little shop, and a man from the town steps into that opening too. And as the herd of sheep go by, he notices there's a man behind them that's cursing them and whipping them and kicking them. And he turns to the man from that village and he said, I thought the shepherd's supposed to lead the sheep. He said, oh, he does, but that's not the shepherd's, that's the butcher." You see, so you have to ask yourself, are you being led or are you being driven? It's important to know that. Are you being led or are you being driven? And the last thing I want to share with you, <laughs> it hasn't even been 20 minutes. Well, I had a little quote here I cut out too. I want to add this. A lesson from Agnes Deaton. He's some kind of a professor in the United States. I remember I cut it out of a magazine someplace. He said, the need to do something tends to trump the need to understand what needs to be done. Sometimes you'll be pressured. You need to do something. You need to do something. You need to do something. Well, before you do something, you need to know what you need to do. If God's leading you, go. If he closes the door, don't try to go through it. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Back, I can remember where I was at. I was listening to WTGN. I was living in Lima. And I, didn't have, I couldn't afford a TV set or an air conditioner. So I was sitting there. I used to listen to WTGN at night. And this man gave a testimony that he said that during the Second World War, he was in the Navy. And he was in a supply ship. And they were going to deliver supplies to this island in the Pacific. And they were running in blackout conditions because of the Japanese submarines. And the, the, uh, the island was in blackout conditions too, no lights on. And they had to deliver these supplies to that island. But he knew that there was a coral reef all the way around that island except one place where the Navy had dynamited out a very narrow channel. And so he was up in a wheelhouse with the captain. 
And he was thinking, how are we going to do this? How are we going to find that narrow little channel in the dark? This is before GPS, years before. And so as he was up there with him, he was watching the captain at one particular point. He turned the wheel, and they headed directly in to the island. And he asked the captain, he said, how did you know this is the channel? It's, it's dark. He said, because you look at the end of the channel, when they heard them coming, at the end of the channel was a stand the same height as the wheelhouse in the ships. And there were three red lights on that stand, and they were about 10 feet apart. And he said, I keep the ship so that I'm only seeing one light. He said, if I start to get over to the side, and I start seeing two or three lights, he said, I, I know I'm getting out of the center of this channel. And he said, I need to get back over. That's the only thing they had to guide them in there. And this man said, he said uh, that, that uh, those three lights representing knowing the will of God. Do you want to know that you're right dead center in the middle of his will? I do. I mean, I mean, if I do something, I want to know that this is God. And I want to know that I'm right in the middle of his will. I don't want to be in my will. I've tried it before. And it was the disaster. And he said those three lights, first of all, the first one represents the word of God. Right there. To know his word, to know his will, you've got to read it. That's the primary way that God speaks to us, is through his word. And I read it every morning. I get alone in the bathtub and pull the shower curtain, sit back and do my morning vespers. Pray and, and read the word and ask God to, to direct me. And God will never call you to do anything that is contrary to his word. Never. He will never bless anything that's based on a lie. Even a little one. There's times, there's times you'll be tempted. But God will never call you to do anything that's contrary to his word or based on a lie. And the second one is discerning a spirit, the second light. The first one is his word. The second thing that he gives us is discerning of spirits. Sometimes there's something about this that doesn't feel right. That's because it isn't. The Holy Ghost is trying to tell you something. I can think of a couple different preachers that, I, that uh, rang the wrong bells. I can remember one, one in particular, they were having revival service on this farm. They had a tent set up, and Nita and I went there on a Sunday afternoon. And I sat in the front row. I always like sitting in the front row where the anointing is. And we were sitting there, and I looked over at the pastor, and God spoke to me and said, do not join yourself to this man. And he walked right over, and he asked me to preach to that day, so I did. But the next week, about the middle of the week, he called up. Now, this was 20 years ago, 25 or more. And he called up when I wasn't home and talked to Nita. For no reason, he strikes up a conversation with her when I'm not there. He knows I'm not there. And I said, there's something wrong with this. Two weeks later, we found out that uh, his church aboard discovered that even though he was married, he was pursuing a young lady in the church, and he was fired. I said, wasn't God right on? You know, sometimes you just don't, you get bad vibes. There's something wrong with this picture. I've, I've heard preachers preach a great message. I mean, the best. But there's something wrong. 
we had a, a pastor came to a church in town and some friends of ours were going there and so we went there. We went and visited with him one Sunday and I said, there's something wrong. Something wrong with this picture. And uh, afterwards we went out to eat with him and he told me, he said uh, when he first came to town that he said he didn't have a credit card and uh, he said he'd need to borrow my friend's credit card to make some reservations. He said, I'll pay you back. He never did. He never did. Discerning of spirits. I can remember back in 2001, 9-11-01 happened. How many of you remember that? 9-11-01. I remember the pastor, we were going to go, matter of fact, we were going to go on vacation. I said, let's go out east. We were going to go to Maine. I wanted to go to New York City to go to David Wilkerson's church, Times Square Church. And we might have been there having breakfast at the World Trade Center that day, except pastor was going to be in Russia and he asked me to have the message on that Wednesday night, which was two days later. It happened on Monday and I was going to preach on Wednesday. And so I said, well, we didn't go out east. I said, let's just, everything, I mean, I just needed some, I, I was ready to kick back by the next month came. I, I had enough drama in my life. I said, let's just go down to back down to St. Augustine, we'd been there a number of times, and I said, let's just get a room in that old place that's on the beach. And uh, we've been going there since 91, I like it. Nita says, don't tell anybody we come here, it's seedy. I said, but it's cheap. It's clean and it's cheap and it's quiet, but it, it, uh, it's, it's no Trump palace, I'll tell you. So we made reservations there at that old place on the beach in October the next month. We were going to leave on Friday. I had every, all, all the plans made, all the reservations. We'd started to pack. I woke up Wednesday morning. I said, we're not supposed to go. I don't know why, but I just get a bad feeling about this. We canceled our reservations. I told the guys at work, I said, uh, I'm going to be here. I went down and told my mom and dad. And dad said, good. He said, I want you to come down Friday because a tree trimmer was going to be there. Dad had some big trees and he wanted the dead wood cut out. He said, I want you to meet with the tree trimmer. So I went down there on Friday, and uh, I went in and talked to my mom and dad before he got there. And my mother and dad were having breakfast. And my mother said, you know, this is the first time this has happened. But she said, I couldn't get my breath this morning. So I met with the tree trimmer, and I came back in, and I said, you know what? We're going to put you in the car. We're going to take you to Lutheran Hospital where you've been before, and we're going to have them check you out. We took her there. They put her through the test, and they said she was low on blood. They immediately started giving her an, an IVs, you know, the blood transfusion, gave her two pints. They said if she had gone the weekend, she would have died before Monday morning. Was that God? Yes. So we changed our reservations for that same old hotel for November. We got down there in November, and when we pulled in, there was big dumpsters on both sides of the hotel. Walked in and on the first floor, all the drywall from four feet high on down was gone. All the furniture, it was all in a dumpster. And I talked to the maintenance man, I said, what happened? The weekend we were gonna be there, Tropical Storm Gabrielle came. They didn't expect it to be that bad, but he said, we had three feet of water here. He said, it was coming down so hard, so fast, it was coming up. He said, people were trying to check out Whenever they pull their car into the carport and the doors would open, 
he said a wave would roll in and hit the counter. I thought, thank God we weren't there. Our Mustang would not have liked three feet of water. Now, Nita said before on her Jeep she thought I ought to get a snorkel, but I hope I don't ever need a snorkel. But isn't that something? So many times, the second light is discern of spirits. If, if something's wrong, if the Holy Ghost has put a check in you, you better stop. And the last one is outward circumstances. And if God wants you to do it, he'll make a way. Don't worry about it. He'll open the door. If he doesn't, you weren't supposed to do it. That's just that simple. Why worry about it? If God sends you someplace, he'll keep you. If he has to supernaturally put money, clip money on the side of your prescription bag, he knows how to do that. He knows how to meet your needs. I remember I was in church one time, and uh, this woman got up to sing, and she said, pray for me because I can't sing. We prayed for her, and she still couldn't sing. And it's like Clint Eastwood said, a man's got to know his limitations. And if God calls you to do something, he'll equip you. He will equip you. I'm done. Philip said he wanted the pastor Dosick called and Pastor Carlin came through with flying colors. Thank you, Jesus. So as we close tonight, maybe maybe the the band would like to come up. I'm just going to give an altar call. Amen. I believe God's not done tonight. If you feel like you want to leave, that's okay. If you have a need, come up. And I'll ask the altar team to come up too. And We're going to pray and believe. We're going to pray and believe. I've seen God do some amazing things. And I can remember the one time I was standing right down here and a mother brought a baby up there. Maybe she's here tonight. And said that this baby had projectile vomiting. And they couldn't do anything for that baby. I prayed for that baby, and she came up the next Sunday and said that baby never vomited after that. It wasn't me, it was God. It, all we have to do is pray the word and believe. Only believe, and God will do the work in our life.